Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Let's Go There, the podcast about searching for God in a post-truth world. Here with Mark. How you doing, Mark? I am feeling good. I I am ready to podcast. Good. We're podcasting about names and God's names, and I think this one's going to be really exciting. You started off talking about things that are best. Who Mm -hmm. decides what's best? We should talk about who's the best hockey team. I think we might agree there. Well, <laughs> we might agree yeah. on which one we yes, like. Exactly. I don't, know if, I don't, I don't know if they're still called the, the, best. the best. It's been a long time since they were at the best. Case in point. Mm. It's rather subjective. <laughs> so the best hockey team, the best movie, the best music, which I think you, you said you like country music. Is yeah, that, that would be the opposite. <laughs> yeah. But I grew up in a family who that's all they listen to. Oh. So yeah, yeah. That's 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 hard. Torturous, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you said if everything's the best, then nothing's the best. I like that. So what's the name of God that you introduced this week? The name is it's El Elyon, which is translated as God Most High. To kind of connect that whole idea of best. This is really God's way of saying, I am the best. I am the highest, the greatest, the most powerful, the most superior, the most excellent. In fact, it's not even a competition. I'm so far above and beyond and any other everything, Mm -hmm. right? He he really is. he, He is the ultimate definition of the best. You went into a story about King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel where you read where the king said, by my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as a royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And then God responded to that thought with a message saying, you will no longer be a leader and you will eat grass like a cow <laughs> until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. So Maybe continue that story. What happened to King Neb as he, <laughs> as he after he lost his sanity? Yes, I I really like this story, and I like we were chatting about it just a few minutes ago, just about this idea of a guy like King Nebuchadnezzar assuming that he was untouchable. Like, mm-hmm. what what could anyone do to me? What could God Himself even do to me? And and then it's kind of like, oh yeah, right, my mind. I, <laughs> that's the one thing I can't control. So he loses his mind, and for seven years, he he's basically a cow. He mm-hmm. he's an animal. He he's lost his mind. He's eating grass and wandering around. And after those seven years, the Bible says he kind of looks up to God, looks up to the heavens, regains his sanity, and immediately calls God the Most High, mm. and kind of does this pretty remarkable 180 and unsays all of the things he said about himself. He now says about God Hmm. and, you know, there is no human comparable to you and you really are the highest and the greatest. Hmm. And so it's a pretty unique turnaround type story in that regard. Crazy. eh? Seven years. It's a Mm. long time to learn a lesson. And like a week would have been fine, right? I got it. Yeah. yeah, No, seven years. Wow. So why, why do you think it's so important to God and or important for our sake that we get this right, this idea that God's the most high, we're not the most high, or put it a little differently, if we wrap our heads around it, how does it affect us, how we live and think? I think when we lose sight of the fact that he is the most high, one, we have a tendency to make ourselves that. And we become the most important thing. Life easily and quickly becomes about 
my preferences and my priorities and the universe is revolving around me. And, and so that's, that's one kind of negative approach. I think the other side of it too is that when we forget that God is the most high, but, well, then we start to worry about everything, mm. right? If, yeah. if there isn't someone out there who is sovereign and powerful and good, then what hope is there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who who can fix this and who can heal me and who can save me and who can provide for me and just kind of a sense of, who boy. <laughs> like yeah. that, so it's I, both sides of looking at that are a little bit alarming mm. when you forget mm. that that's God. When you get this right, how do you think it should color our perspective on success? Yeah, this is a, that's a good question. And I think always we have to understand and recognize that any any good thing comes from god mm. and that's what the bible tells us that's what we believe anyway is, is so that any kind of good gift like that is a gift from heaven and so if i had success ultimately i believe that god had a hand in giving me that success and and perhaps that came about because he's good and generous perhaps it's because he gifts certain people with skills and talent and ability gives them that success or whatever but it, you you ultimately you can trace it all back to the hand of god giving someone that that amount of success even though we probably have a part to play in that mm. all along the story and we're being faithful with our gifts god talks about if if you've been given much then much is required yeah. right even meaning with the gifts and and how he's called us to use those things and so yeah you know i i think it's important to to oh and yeah you can kind of get cliche here though mm. right and you think of actors and actresses on stage right. accepting their oscars or their grammys and thing i want to thank god for this and yeah. that's the only time they've acknowledged right. god in the last five years right, right? like so yeah I, I, it sounds a little trite to some degree yeah but ultimately that we really do believe yeah that those good things come from god yeah i often think about even that element of the part we have to play to the extent that we played that part, we mm. also received the ability to play it, you know, right? because not everyone has that equal opportunity to play that part, you mm-hmm. know, because they just didn't have the circumstances or the, the health or the capability, yeah. which you did nothing to get. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And it's, I've always found this kind of a fascinating topic, even just with natural ability, right? Like mm-hmm. you could probably teach most people how to play guitar to some degree, yeah. but there are always going to be outliers mm-hmm. who have this natural gift to be unbelievable. Yeah. And I could practice for five hours a day for 10 years and never get to that level. Yeah. Right. Well, where did that come from? Yeah. Right. Well, that's, yeah. God blesses people and seems to do that at his own discretion. Yeah. And even that uber talented person who also practiced. Right. Had the ability to practice you know mm. the circumstances in their life where they they didn't have to fetch water because they could spend it playing the guitar you know and some people yeah. just don't have the opportunity even though the gift might be there yeah and so all that is is a gift too yeah that's oh, yeah you read in isaiah um and a lot of people when you start talking about this character satan get a little squirrely <laughs> um, but i think what's interesting is most people won't realize that he was actually a being created by God as a, a being with very high amount of splendor and power um, as an angel of God. But he kind of said, hey, look at me. I've got it all going on. You read Isaiah 14, 12 to 13, where he said, I will ascend to heaven 
and set my throne above God's stars, and I will be like, and here's the word, the Most High. I will be mm-hmm. like him. And God said, uh, no. <laughs> Instead, you'll be thrown or brought down to the place of the dead. So based on this kind of story, do you think there's an extra special danger for those who do have a lot going on, you know, they have that special talent playing the guitar or they can sing or they, the things that the world finds attractive? Or do you think that maybe in some ways there's a special blessing for those who've kind of got it rough? <laughs> yes. I think a danger definitely exists for people who do have a, a lot going on, however we want to say that. Probably the more successful or famous or powerful you get, the more difficult it would be for yourself to maintain humility or whatever that might feel like or however that might sound. Um, but I don't know, you, you probably start to believe your own hype after a while. I'm sure that's what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. And you have enough people tell you you are the greatest mm-hmm. and the best and the smartest and the mm-hmm. most attractive. And you're like, you're right, mm-hmm. I am. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I think that starts you down a road where you subtly, you know, it, it is dangerous to start believing that pride and start thinking of yourself as the most important or the best or whatever that is, but that it's all got pride at its root. Yeah. And just that idea, ultimately you could say that every sin really has pride mm-hmm. at its root. It's yeah. this self-serving motive that says it's, it's what I want in the moment. Mm. And do you think that those that in some ways don't have those circumstances in spite of the fact that a lot of people might say, I don't really want to wish that on myself or others. Mm. Do you think there's kind of a blessing in it? Yeah. There's certain verses that would indicate some truth with that. Even the idea that it's, it's hard for the rich man to enter heaven. Yeah. Right. Like this, these Mm. things could become obstacles. So the, the greater success you have, maybe the more difficult it is for you to let go of certain things. Mm -hmm. But even in the, the Sermon on the Mount, when, when Jesus talks about, you know, blessed are those who do mourn, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed yeah. are the kind of the brokenhearted, right? And he's, mm. it's almost like there is, there is a blessing for those mm. who are down and out and seem to have been forgotten. That's who he was drawn to. That's who he seemed to talk to the most, where the people that were hurting, maybe there, there's a blessing to be had there and that you recognize God's nearness to you or your need for him or whatever, but maybe, maybe there's not as many obstacles that would get in the way of your walk with God, Mm. but it's an interesting, Mm. interesting idea for sure. Yeah. You talked about two concepts, humility and encouragement kind of go into those, but around humility, you read, um, Matthew six 33, which says, uh, seek the kingdom of God first and above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. You said, and I kind of packed a few things together, you said, we are not the most high, and we need to make ourselves less and less. First is last, last is first. I need to not make myself the best or the first. He needs to be the greater, and I need to be the less. So my question is, what do you? What does it look like to make myself less and less practically. Yeah, I don't like that I preached this. This this <laughs> this is one of those ones where you preach what you need and it's so convicting, right? It's hard. But that idea of making yourself less and less is is just ensuring that that God is first and those priorities that he talks about 
are your priorities. And so, I mean, really, the easiest way to find out what's most important to you is look at your budget, look at your calendar, look at your goals, look look at how you value certain things. And, and you can probably make some pretty quick observations or assumptions about what really is the most important thing in your life and in how your family operates. And, and if you're currently set up with all of those things to make more of yourself, then perhaps there's a need for rearranging some things, right? Mm-hmm. You can't say God is first and best if you know, you, you've got one hour a week carved in the calendar for him. Yeah. That, that would seem like he's not first and best, right? People, mm-hmm. you know, Bible talks about generosity and tithing, but if you look at your budget and you're like, well, I'll just let other people do that. Mm-hmm. Well, you're holding on to stuff, right? So there's, there's these ideas where I, I, it's one thing for me to say it, but I can take a tangible look at some things right. and really, am I giving of myself more? Am, am I putting myself last mm. and making sure that all these other things are, are ahead of me? Mm. That's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to actually do in practice. It reminds me of a, a quote. I think I shared it with you last week. That if servanthood is below you, then leadership is beyond you. Mm. And I think of that in the context of less and less, right? It's mm-hmm. like if I, because we think of leaders as everybody serves me, but the kind of leadership that we're talking about, biblical leadership, is where I serve everyone. And if that's below me, then biblical leadership's beyond me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's that whole, I, you know, the world kind of operates with the CEO or the leader at top of the pyramid. Yeah. And Jesus basically said, no, flip it upside down. Yeah. And le- leaders are last. You read uh, James 4, 6. Interesting that while there's benefits and consequences of pride or humility, you said God himself opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you go off in a prideful way, you've got a pretty powerful opponent. (laughs) My question is, being prideful or working pridefully uh, comes with opposition, and humility comes with benefits. What, What are they? What are the benefits of living, you know, getting that right? Well, I think one of the main benefits, even just from that verse, would be that God is not your opponent. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a pretty big one. You know, if if you're living in humility, mm-hmm. then you are living in the way that that God is asking you to do, which probably will lead to you know His His hand on you and being blessed and all of those kind of good things, right? No one really enjoys being around prideful, arrogant people, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that that God blesses those who are humble and blesses their relationships and their conversation and they're more usable they're more yeah. open they're more available they're more likely to serve yeah. rather than those who know i'm too good for that yeah well that's the antithesis of the gospel yeah there, there really is a beauty isn't there mm. when you meet someone who is genuinely humble particularly when you meet someone that you might expect has reasons to not be humble, you know, right. yeah. there's, there's a beauty in it, isn't there? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. When people meet someone famous or whatever, and they use the phrase, like they were so down to earth, right? right? Like we're surprised right. that they're normal. Yeah. Right. That's well, it's good humility. Yeah. So humility was one concept. Encouragement was the other one. Back to King Neb, as I like to call him. <laughs> um, he, when his sanity returned, he said of God that all his acts are just and true and he gave up on that himself first perception and accepted that God was first and that God was God and God was in control, not the king. Why 
did you link that to encouragement? Why would that fact be encouraging to us? Oh man, just the, the idea that there is a person who is in control and has ultimate power and sovereignty and knowledge and yet is also good and loves me <laughs> should be incredibly reassuring. When you look around at a world that is full of injustice and to know that God most high is just and he will fix it, it's encouraging mm -hmm. to, to know that when I see evil running rampant in the world, to know that its days are numbered and mm -hmm. he won't let that go forever, that that's encouraging. And even just in the small things, just in the meantime, knowing that there is a good God and he's for me and working things out for for those who love him it, it is it's just one of those if i didn't believe it or if i didn't think it i would be discouraged and i don't know where my hope would come from if i didn't think there was a good god who was in control mm. that would be hard to wake up to in the morning mm. and sometimes the bible even kind of says like you might not ever understand that mm. uh, yeah. paul wrote in first corinthians 13 right like we only see things imperfectly mm -hmm. we only see things Im impartially and so it's even just knowing in my heart that when a thing happens that i'm confused by or stressed out by to know that there's probably reasons for that and they might not be known to me until five years later or whatever even still knowing that god's sovereign hand was in that i can i can make it through those circumstances a little bit easier or standing a little bit firmly on that on that truth what's your thought on i don't want to be king neb and i want to give up my own position as most high of my life or most high of whatever circle of influence that i'm in how can I do that, practically speaking? What should I do? I want to surrender that title to God. Hmm. I think if you're asking that question, think of the the first two things that popped into your head that terrified you. Hmm. <laughs> it's probably those things. Mm -hmm. right? I think it's it's different for everyone, but if you're thinking, oh, anything but that, right? those are usually the things you need to let go of. Mm -hmm. And so I, I would start to ask yourself, what what can I give up? Or what do I need to let go of? How can I give myself away? Look at your gifts and abilities and think, why did I actually get those? Mm -hmm. And what does God want me to do with them? And, and start to kind of rearrange your, your values and priorities so that you are giving of yourself more rather than purely living for yourself. And so, I, again, I, th I think it's different for everyone. And I think everyone's having different things pop into their head when they hear that. Mm -hmm. But... I don't think it's rocket science mm. to, well, what, you know, how do I give myself away? God's pretty good at making that stuff clear. But for some people, it's money. For some people, it's ability. For some people, it's uh, erasing things off their calendar. It's, right. it's volunteering. It's serving. It's spending more time with your kids. It's Yeah, so you're talking about the kind of barriers that hold me back from right. wanting to say, okay, I'll give up that title mm. because I'm afraid if I do, these things will go. Right. Yeah. I'm yeah. afraid. Of we, those we tie yeah. it to our identity so much yeah. too, right? Like right. Well, if I give that away, then who am I going to be? Yeah. Um, let's end with Tiffany Connor and maybe I'll let you introduce that. And I think it'd be a good way to, to wrap up. Mm. Uh, Tiffany is a mom in our church with a couple of kids, just a fantastic woman who serves in our ministries here. And she kind of went through that season that she, 
the way she worded it was, I, I never imagined I would be here. But she woke up one day and knew her marriage was over and her husband was moving out and felt like her world was falling apart. Through kind of a series of events, she found herself watching a Crosspoint sermon online one night mm. uh, and even just kind of said, like, I could have been watching Netflix. Like, I don't know how I got here. Mm. <laughs> but just kind of that line that sometimes when your world is falling apart, maybe it's God's will really falling into place. Mm. And through his sovereignty and his power and control, the way he works situations out, he brought her to a place where she found healing through, uh, you know, divorce care. She's found a deeper walk with Jesus. It changed her life dramatically. I think she would say she's better today than she was before this difficult mm -hmm. circumstance happened. And mm -hmm. so it's just another picture of we don't always understand why we go through things especially when we're in the middle of them, but God is always capable of using them for his purposes. And maybe it was for his glory. Maybe he's got a reason for that, but he, he is the most high and he does know what he's doing. And so we should be comforted by that. Awesome. Well, let's listen to Tiffany's story. My name is Tiffany Connor, and this is my testimony. I am the mother of two children. My son, Jordan, is seven, and my daughter, Mariah, is five. I was married to Jordan and Mariah's father for nine and a half years. We met when we were in our early 20s. I remember when we first started dating that I thought our relationship was a bit cliche. We came from different social circles. In high school, I was a quiet girl who went to church, followed all the rules, and got good grades. Their father was outgoing, very popular, and on the high school football team. We met, started dating, and a year and a half later, we were married. Our marriages was like a lot of other marriages. We had a lot of good times together and we also went through some trials. Even though not every day in our marriage was great, I don't think I ever fully prepared myself for a day that would come that we weren't married. One day in January 2015, that day came. I woke up that day knowing things had been extra hard the last while, but still had the hope that things would turn around. By 9 a.m. on that day, I knew my marriage was over and my future was going to look a lot different very soon. My whole world came crashing down around me. Everything I had known for the last decade was changing. My husband was moving out. We had to sit down and have a conversation with our two young children about the fact that their dad would no longer be living with us. They didn't understand, and at the time, neither could I. My heart was shattered. I didn't know it was possible to feel that much pain and not have any physical scars to show for it. I felt like I had failed. I felt broken and rejected. I was so unsure about the future. I thought I'd wear the title of divorced for the rest of my life. I was emotionally exhausted, but had to keep it together the best I could for the kids. They were sad and confused about the changes and they needed a mom who could comfort them. The kids, routine, and my full-time job is what kept me going those first few months. I remember one Sunday afternoon, about six months after the separation, I dropped the kids off at a birthday party and came home. I made it as far as the kitchen and sat down on the kitchen floor. I cried for the next 90 minutes until it was time to pick them up. It was six months later and I still felt that much hurt and pain. Time had passed and I got better at hiding it from friends and family, but the truth was I was still very much heartbroken. It was a couple weeks later that I stumbled upon Joshua 1.5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God used this promise he made to Joshua to speak to my heart that day. 
I had grown up in the church. I accepted Jesus into my heart when I was five years old. As soon as I was out of high school, I rarely attended church. I started going again occasionally once my children were born, but it was more for them than it was for me. I always believed in God, and God was a part of my family. I can't honestly say that I had a personal relationship with Him. Looking back, I, re I would relate my relationship with God as a distant uncle that you chat with a few times a year. I never treated Him like my father. I never depended on Him. It wasn't until I faced my darkest season that I finally turned to Him. After reading Joshua 1.5, I picked up the Bible. I read it like I would read it for the first time. I could feel God speaking to me through His Word. A couple of months later, I attended divorce care at Brunswick Street Baptist Church. God used this wonderful ministry filled with wonderful people to heal my heart and point me towards Him even more. Christmas Eve night, 2015, after the kids went to bed, I sat down on the couch with a plate of nachos. The day before, I had been on Facebook and a few social media clicks landed me on my very first Crosspoint sermon. I wasn't searching for a sermon. I could have easily watched Netflix. God knew I needed to hear this message. Pastor Jamie preached a sermon called Falling Into Place. It was about Joseph and his journey through the Christmas story. The line that spoke to me the most was when Jamie said, for us, when it seems like our world is falling apart, God's will is actually falling into place. And that's really hard for us to understand sometimes because in our view and our colorblindness, we see the way things the way we want to see them. We see them with our thoughts and we see them with our opinions. We see them with our circumstances. And then God's like, hold on a second, just because it looks like your world is falling apart, maybe my will is actually falling into place. What I've learned over the past year is that while divorce is part of my story, it is not my entire story. My life is so much more than that one dark season. God has given me the opportunity to use my story to help others by becoming a leader with the Divorce Care Program. I also have been given the opportunity to serve in kids' ministry here at Crosspoint, which I'm very thankful for. One of my regrets is that it took me over 30 years before I let Jesus in my heart completely. If you have never made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you have but haven't put him first in your life, please consider doing so. It's not too late. When I was in the middle of everything, I could not see how any good could come out of this situation. God did not cause a divorce, but God has turned a season of pain to something positive and beautiful. I am filled with the love God has for me. I have found peace. I see things differently now. I have recommitted my life to the Lord. He has changed my priorities. He has changed the way I parent. He has changed the way I look at people and the way I love people. He has changed me. No matter what trials I face going forward, I know I will never do it alone. God will be with me every step of the way.